Luke chapter 9, a few simple verses here, 3, 7, 8, and 9 is our text for this morning, which seems like just a a scant amount for us to cover, Uh, but something that is incredibly uh, important for us to understand in the context of the Gospel of Luke. Here's what I mean. Luke gives us this after a continuation of Jesus showing up on the scene and saying like a bunch of things to crowds of people, people who are scoffers, people who are outsiders, the Pharisees are trying to check things out. There's all sorts of stuff happening. And Jesus has been giving instruction. He's been teaching. He's selected his disciples. And now we get to a section where uh, the disciples go out just before this. They're sent out and commissioned by Jesus, but they're not really, they don't really have it together. They're not like, you know, they're, they're maybe like a year and a half into this, and Jesus is like, hey, go out. I'm going to give you power, authority. I want you to tell people about me. And now we find uh, that the word is getting back to this guy called Herod. Now, before we jump into our text this morning to Herod, what we also want to understand is what is the purpose of this book? Why are we here? Why are we looking at this book? Why did Luke write this? Why did he give us uh, this collection of information? If you recall, in the opening words of the Gospel of Luke, he tells us that this was undertaken for a specific purpose. He says, inasmuch, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Right? He's writing for this guy, uh, Theophilus. He says, most excellent Theophilus. So he says, I'm writing this down. I was there. I was among the eyewitnesses. There were people who were with me. They all saw this. I'm taking this time to put this together. I'm taking the opportunity to gather this information, to put it together into one volume. But why does he say this? So that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. So there are things that I've been taught my whole life. There are things that I was, I understood. People told me again and again, you have to believe this, and this is what's happening there. And, And they were certain in their belief. But yet I was not certain in my belief. And so it was up to me to undertake that same journey, to go and find these things out, to go and see what is the truth, what is actually happening here. Now, Luke is a physician. He's somebody who's used to taking detailed notes. He's somebody who's used to, being, uh, to closely observing all that's happening. As you go to the doctor, you know, and you sit down with your physician, he may be looking over and saying, you know, what's that, what's that little scratch there? Or I noticed that you have this slight bruise here. And to, to you, that might be, oh, I was just, uh, you know, leaning on something and I pressed a little too hard and there was a little bruise. But to him, you know, he sees that as uh, something that is indicative of an underlying condition. Oh, there's something deeper there. That hyper-observant thing that that physicians have, that awareness, they're looking for things that you do not know. And here, uh, Luke is doing the same thing. 
He says, I was there. I'm recording this. I'm writing this down. I'm putting it together in such a way that you can, you can see what I've discovered. And so number one, Luke is telling us he himself is an eyewitness. This isn't, this isn't somebody else who said, hey, you've got to believe this. This is somebody who's one of the most observant people in the world who's saying, I watched this myself. And I'm passing down to you something that I've seen with my own eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm delivering this so that you might have confidence yourself. I'm sharing with you what I can say is true. And so it was up to me to go on my own journey to find out if these things were true. I've got to discover this for my uh, own need to answer these own questions uh, myself. Why? Because I don't want to just take someone else's word for it. It's more powerful, it's more important if I make it my own, if I understand it as my own perspective, my own insight, my own understanding. And like Luke has done, I've searched the world, I've read many things, and I've determined that the claims of Christ are true. That the word of God is authoritative, and what he is saying uh, comes uh, to be uh, the rules uh, the, the perspectives, the viewpoint, the ideology by which I should order my life. Because I've found that this is true. Now, how did we get there? Well, like, uh, like Luke, there was an orderly account. He compiled this. I searched, and much like you, you've got to be one who is searching. You've got to be looking into the truths of the Scripture. Now, there's a way to do it, and there's a way not to do it. We have this illustrated for us this morning in our text. As we look now, we find uh, a couple examples of those who respond to these claims, who respond to who Jesus is. Because you can, you can encounter Jesus, you can hear about him from a third party, you can hear about him from, uh, from your, your relatives, I can hear about him just like I did from my parents, and say, okay, well, here's what you've got to do, but I've got to determine for myself, what do I think? What do I think? about Jesus? How am I responding to who he is and what he's claiming to be? So there are some ways to do this, and then there are some pitfalls that we find along the way. Luke opens it up for us this way in chapter 7, or excuse me, uh, chapter 9, verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening. Now, we get this guy, Herod the Tetrarch. Who's this guy? Well, he is the son of a previous Herod. If you recall, there was a previous Herod uh, in the earlier chapters of the Gospel of Luke who was one who was trying to uh, find out what the deal is with this promised king, this, this, uh, this promised savior who's coming, who was foretold. So much so that he, he knows enough to say, hey, I know that there's this coming king, I know that there's this guy, and he calls the religious leaders, and the religious leaders are smart enough to know that this guy, is this, this coming king, this promised uh, uh, king, is going to be born in the city of Bethlehem, right? So he says, hey, this is where it's going to happen. He lets them know. So this other guy, Herod, the, not this Herod in our text, but this other Herod, who's uh, a, a relative of this Herod, he says, hey, let's go find out where this, where this baby is. Now, we're told in the other Gospels that the reason he wanted to do this is because he wanted to get rid of him. He wanted to get rid of, of Jesus. He wanted to, to, to snuff him out. He didn't want anyone to rival his position, his authority. Let's get rid of this guy, Jesus. 
And we find then that the lineage continues, and it says uh, that this Herod probably influenced, uh, the, the, the Herod who tried to kill Jesus previously probably influenced his relative, uh, this Herod. His father probably spoke to his son and said, hey, there's this guy, Jesus. You bet, like he, he tried to, you know, he tried to overthrow me. He tried to take over. Now, what we're told there is that what happens is that Jesus is uh, he's, uh, sent away off into uh, Egypt with Mary and Joseph. They go off, and Herod the Great, he ends up dying, and then that's when they come back. right? So he doesn't have to deal with uh, that previous Herod, Herod the Great, who was trying to kill him. But now his son's in charge, Herod the Tetrarch. He uh, is formerly known as Herod Antipas. And he was uh, this, he held this position, he was a ruler, a governor of uh, this region in Galilee and Perea at this time. And, and he reigned over just a fourth of the territory uh, in his father's kingdom. Just a fourth. So it wasn't like this like huge big boss guy. Like he, he had some authority, some power, but he wasn't ruling over the whole thing. But yet, he had influence. He had power. He had authority. He had the stories that his father had told him about Jesus. So now he's hearing there's this Jesus guy. What's happening with him? We're told he heard, uh, chapter 9, verse 7, now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed. So the report comes to him, about the progress, about the development of Jesus and his movement, uh, what he's been doing in this region, his disciples. And the report is delivered to Herod uh, in the interpretation of the crowds about who Jesus is. We're told that Herod is perplexed by these opinions. Number one, because he has a formed opinion of who he thinks Jesus is on the basis of what his father has told him. He has an opinion about who Jesus is on the basis of what another man called John the Baptist has told him. He has an opinion of who Jesus is based on uh, the uh, popular word that's getting back from the crowds in re response to what Jesus has been doing. And this man, Herod, wants to figure this out. He's perplexed. He's confused. It's a puzzle for him. And what happens here is that Herod is not looking to be instructed and taught, but rather Herod is looking to master this puzzle. He wants to solve the puzzle of who Jesus is. He's, he's, he's coming about um, this in a sense where he's receiving these reports from all over. He's perplexed by the variety of opinions. And he's interested in solving this puzzle of who Jesus is. But here's, here's the perspective. Here's where he gets off wrong, and here's where we often get off wrong. We start heading off on the journey in the wrong direction. Jesus himself will tell us who he is. He tells us who he is. He's been trying to tell everybody since the moment he came on the scene, he's been trying to show who he is. He's been trying to tell people who he is. He's been trying to reveal who he is. And everyone keeps saying, oh, well, you're, you're, you're this, of course. Right? This is a part of the, the idea of the secret 
This theme of the secret that kind of keeps happening throughout the Gospels. You ever, you ever see, um, as, you're, as you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus does this great miracle, and he tells them, like, hey, don't tell anybody about that. He doesn't want anybody to know that he, he uh, caused a lame man to walk or he, he, he uh, you know, gave the blind sight. He doesn't want anyone to know that, that he's raised someone from the dead. He's like, hey, like, just, just kind of keep that on the down low. Don't tell anybody about that. Because people form the wrong opinions on him, of him based upon what is being said, what is being shared by others. Oh, don't, you know, if you, if you need something from Jesus, you can go to him because he delivers this. That's like what he is. Right? If you need that, you go to that store. You go to the Jesus store for healing. You go to Jesus store if you want this. That's what he is. But Jesus himself has been sharing about who he is the entire time, but nobody wants to listen. Instead, we want to figure it out. We want to master the puzzle. We want to determine this. But Jesus, he's not a puzzle to be solved. You don't master him. When you encounter him rightly, he masters you. He, he orients your life around him. If you're trying to put him into your box, you're doing it wrong. Of course you're not going to ever understand Jesus that way. Because he's too big to be put in your box. Of course it's never going to work out if you're like, oh, I tried the Jesus thing, but like, it didn't really give me what I wanted. Because that's not how it's designed. He's not designed to give you what you want. He's not designed in such a way for you to have mastery over him. It, of course it's going to fail. That, that's not going to accomplish what it's, what it's, uh, its purpose. Jesus is the king. He's not there for you to be the king over him. He's the king. And there's no indication that we find here in our text that says that this man Herod has this sincere spiritual interest. Perhaps he was interested in Jesus as a famous man. He wanted to be near to somebody, perhaps, who uh, had some clout, who had the, the you know, uh, popularity in the eyes of the people. Perhaps it might have been good to be associated with him, so the people thought more of him. Oh, I'm friends with Jesus. Perhaps he wanted to leverage the miracles that Jesus performed in order to get something from him. Perhaps he sees Jesus just only as a rival, I'm the king, you're not the king, Jesus. But whatever it was, he buys into the popular thinking about Jesus. And this is where we get off on the wrong foot again. I was raised, as I said, in a Christian home, but I had to find out for myself. I had to do the research myself. I had to go and ask the questions myself. And what that means is not only do I have to turn off uh, all the input of everybody who wanted to influence me to be a Christian, but I also had to specifically turn off the input of people who were telling me that it's not true. Because their voices are influential as well. What does God want to say to me? If he's there, what he's doing, if Jesus is working, what does he want to say to me? It's important that you turn off the, the positive voices and the negative voices and let the Lord speak to you. If, you, if you're easy, easily influenced, if you're somebody who, who follows the trends, if you have people around you who are saying, you know, that's not really true, just do it your own way, turn that off. If there are people who are saying, oh, you just need to trust blindly, turn that off. Jesus demonstrates his love towards us 
that when we were his enemies, Christ died for us. The scriptures tell us that. When you hated him the most, when you currently hate him the most, when you're angry and upset at him, that's when he says, I'm going to demonstrate my love to you. The book of Romans tells us it's absolutely absurd for someone to to give their life for someone who they know specifically doesn't care about them or want to follow them. Who does that? There's nothing in it for him except for pain. Only Jesus does that. That's what we find. The rest of the world is set up in such a way to where it's, you know, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. It's kind of this idea of, of karma. It's this idea, oh yeah, you know, you put in, put in good things and you get good things. That's not how the world works. If that's really how the world worked, if we really believe that, we should be treating people a lot more horribly. Because there are a lot of people who are doing bad things and we should just make, be making sure that they're getting punished. And we should be being punished a lot for the things that we are doing. That fall short, that are not good. The world does not operate on karma. The world operates on grace. We're looking to give people a second chance. We're looking to see those who are broken redeemed. We're looking for those who are lost found. Because that's what God cares about. He cares about his enemies. Those who we would cast off and say, like, eh, not worth keeping that one. He says, I'm going after that one. I'm going to specifically go and find that person. I'm going to meet that need. I care about that person. He's the one who left the 99 sheep to go find the one. He's like, you guys are all good. You're all hanging out together. I'm going to go off and find this one. Do not receive the popular thinking about Jesus. Let Jesus tell you who Jesus is. He will tell you. He's been trying to reveal it this whole time. And Herod here is listening to the, proper, uh, to the popular influence. He's perplexed because there's rumors about him. Now, what are the rumors? First, it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. Okay, what's happening here? Luke reports uh, earlier in chapter 3 that this Herod, Herod the Tetrarch, he had uh, been rebuked by John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, for all of these evil things he's been doing and uh, having this adulterous relationship with, uh, uh, with his brother's wife. And as a result of this, as a result of being called out on these things, Herod the, Tet- uh, Herod the Tetrarch, he put John in prison. John the Baptist throws him in jail. This is the last time that we get word about John the Baptist. And so uh, now we get a little bit more confirmation here that uh, Herod indeed has killed John the Baptist. Verse 3, because it was said, uh, excuse me, not verse 3, verse 7, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead. So he's like, is this guy like John? Is that what's happening here? Is John coming back to haunt me? The memory of John the Baptist perhaps troubled him. Is Jesus this man who's coming in the same spirit of John where he's going to rebuke me and he's going to say, hey, you can't live that way. This only leads to death. This only leads to destruction. You've got to reorient your life. You can't do those things. Herod starts thinking, is, this, is he somebody like that i got to get rid of? Or is this actually John? Is he actually raised from the dead? I don't really want to deal with that guy again. Some thought that Jesus was uh, 
a, a version of Elijah. Verse 8, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. So two things are getting called out here. Elijah, which is a, kind of a callback to uh, a prophecy in the book of, of Malachi, and then also a reference to a coming prophet that Moses had promised in the book of Deuteronomy. The first, we find that Elijah, it was just kind of this promise that, that carries us over even into the book of Luke. You end in the book of, of Malachi talking about this promised uh, figure, this promised Messiah who's coming and uh, who has this same prophetic element as Elijah did. He comes in and, and if you recall, John the Baptist's um, father gives these prophecies speaking and, and echoing these similar language. Uh, you get the same thing with uh, these other people that, are, that they meet at the temple. And then you find that Jesus shows up on the scene with this same attitude, with the same perspective. Elijah, or Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike that land with the decree of utter destruction. So we find here that there's this, this call back to this previous uh, promised prophet that recognizes that this person who's being sent is from God. Elijah's job, his role as, as a figure was to call the nation to repent, to call God's people to repent, to all who would hear his message to receive the king. And then we also find here that this, uh, he's being interpreted as a prophet of old. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So we find then there's another prophet who is prophesied of. One who comes in this same mold, but one who is given the word of the Lord. You don't go to God on the mountain, you go to this prophetic figure. You go to this prophetic figure and you should listen, we're told here. Hear what he is saying and respond. And if you don't, the Lord will require it of you. Hear what he's saying and respond. It's key. Hear what's being said and respond. A theme is developing. So there's one who was sent, John the Baptist, who's proclaiming, hear, hear that the king is coming, receive him. You find uh, one who is Elijah, who's proclaiming repentance, receive the king, repent, get your hearts right, hear and respond. And then you find this figure prophesied in uh, the book of Deuteronomy, hear and respond. Now we come to verse 9. Here's Herod's response to the reports that are coming to him. Herod said, John, I beheaded, right? So he's processing, hey, maybe it's this guy, maybe it's this guy, maybe it's this guy, Herod. And, and Herod's response is this. Well, John, I beheaded. 
I got rid of that guy when we took him out. He's gone. Herod executed him in prison. Now, it seems here, Herod has a bit of fear, a bit of worry, a bit of concern, because, you know, maybe he's feeling convicted. Maybe he has a guilty conscience because he put John to death, believing that John would come back from the dead to, uh, to haunt him. But what happens here is when people are speculating about Jesus, they're saying, hey, well, he could be this guy. He could be this guy. He could be this guy. What does is, what is Herod say? No, I killed, I killed him. He, just, he doesn't listen and process and discuss. He's like, he just, he just tries to fight it off. He feels the anxiety. He feels the worry. He feels that it's coming to him. And so he just starts reminding people, nope, don't you know how powerful I am? I killed John the Baptist, so it can't, can't be him. I beheaded him myself. He's gone. I took care of it. He's flexing his power. If you think John is powerful, I'm more powerful. I killed him. This is a power move. I stopped him. He has this perspective that he's sharing. He's not willing to listen or entertain these angles. Instead, he's responding and saying, now you've got to listen to me. I will tell you what's going on here. And he responds with a question. Who is this? He says, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Okay, we're getting closer. We're we're pulling together the story. You've got to hear. You've got to respond. You've got to see the work of Jesus uh, as he's been revealing himself, and then you respond. He says, he's not John flexing his power, but who is this? Who is this guy? You think he's more powerful than me? You think I can't take him out like I took John out? But as he says this, he repeats the same question that has been asked again and again and again and again and again throughout the Gospel of Luke. He's answering the same question that Luke gives us in the beginning. I'm writing this account so that you might have confidence. You might know, who is Jesus? Who is he? He's asking the same question. And Luke is ordering that here for us so that we can see how we ought to hear and respond. We ought to ask the question, who is Jesus, and respond to that question by listening to what he's already said. Earlier in chapter 7, we find that the Pharisees respond to Jesus forgiving a sinful woman. She's described as a a sinful woman simply in chapter 7. And she comes in while Jesus is at a party, and she washes Jesus' feet with, with her tears. She's crying there. She's weeping that he would welcome her, that he's not rebuking her and saying, Get out of here. I know. I know you're a sinful woman. I know you're dirty. They're all thinking, this guy doesn't even know what kind of woman she is. But Jesus does know. And he does welcome her. And she is glad to be near him. She's glad at his generous spirit. And in the middle of this, Jesus tells her, 
Your sins are forgiven. What is the response of the Pharisees? Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? There it is. They're asking that same question. Who is this? He forgives sins. Only God can forgive sins. That only belongs to him. It's his right. In the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 25, the disciples go through an entire storm on a lake that Jesus leads them into. He gets up in the middle of it as they are afraid. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and it's calm instantly. Verse 25, and they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even winds and water, and they obey him. He forgives sins, and he commands creation. Jesus is constantly showing us who he is. It's the right question that Herod asks. Who is this? He's on the right track. But remember, Jesus gives us an important insight. Remember, he speaks to us in the parable of the sower, and he emphasizes that the answer can only be received, it can only be received by hearing. In the parable of the sower, he speaks about this, uh, this farmer who goes out to throw uh, seed upon, uh, upon a field, and it falls on different types of ground. And as he, as he describes this event, he finishes by telling the story of, of the, the different seeds going out into to different ground. He finish it, finishes it with his, with his crowd hearing it with these words. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He tells them the story and says, listen. Respond here. If you want to know, dig in. Press into who I am. You're not going to find it by having this discussion amongst yourselves and saying, what did he mean by that? Because you know what happened? The disciples did that exact same thing. They were like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Verse uh, 9 of chapter 8, they end up asking him what it meant. Right? That's what they do. They go to him. They don't have a discussion amongst each other and say, well, I think he meant this, and I think he meant this, and so that's probably what he meant we should tell other people. No, they go to him and say, we're, we're, we really want to know. What, we're doing the research ourselves. What does it mean? And he tells them this. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. He says, if you really want to know, you'll know. If you really want that information, you're going to go get it. But if you just want to, if you just want to like confirm what, you, what people are already telling you or what you already believe, if, you don't, if you're just lazy, if you don't want to do the work, if you just really want to go your own way, you're not really going to, even if it's right there in front of you, you're not going to get it. You're not going to follow it. You've got to turn off all of the, the influence that, that's coming in from the outside and saying, Jesus, what are you saying? Because like, I really want to know what you're saying. Not what other people are telling me. 
There's some people who are saying, oh, Jesus is just a crazy guy talking, giving, us like, giving us farming tips. That's not what he's doing. You've got to ask him. And what does he say? He explains the parable this way. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard. They've heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from the hearts so that they may not be, believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock who then, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and the fruit does not mature. As for that in good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, there it is again, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Those are the people who come in and say, Lord, I really want you to speak to me. I don't, want, I don't want the cares of the world. I don't want the thorns growing up around me. I don't want to be going on YouTube watching videos, telling other, like having someone else tell me what this says, telling me about like how this doesn't make any sense. I don't want to be someone who's going out and listening to all these podcasts or having my friends tell me like this is what's going on. I want to go to you. I want to find out what you are saying. I want to hear from your heart. I want to receive that word and then say, okay, well, let me try to hold it fast in an honest and good heart and see what comes of that. There are many other ways to hear and then just kind of be influenced by these outside sources. But Jesus says the true way to do it is to come to him. Clearly, Jesus is, is really focused on the importance of hearing. He goes on in Luke chapter 8, verse 16, and he says that no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed and puts it on a stand so that those who enter it may see the light. There's a light that's shining in a room, and nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is secret that will not be known and come to light. So he's speaking there of his words, the illumination of his words. And then he says this in verse 18, take care then how you hear. Why is Jesus so obsessed with hearing? Because he wants you to understand what he is saying about himself. He's not here for you to be like, oh, well, I saw him do a miracle. I saw him walk on the water. He wants you to hear him speak to the wind and waves. He wants to hear you say, your sins are forgiven. Earlier, he makes a point with the paralytic to tell them what's easier to, to say. Take up your bed and walk, or your sins are forgiven. Well, clearly it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can really, no one can really like confirm that. Like, did that happen or did that not happen? He just kind of said it. But he says that you might believe me that what I say is true, has authority, has purpose. I'm also going to tell this guy, rise and take up your bed and walk. He confirms his works. He confirms his main purpose to forgive sin uh, with these other uh, miracles. So say, see, here's something you can see, but what's more important is what you cannot. You cannot see that uh, his sins being forgiven when he says your sins are forgiven. And so Jesus tells us, take care then how you hear. Lastly, Luke chapter 8, verse 21. His family's coming to see him. They're busting in. Hey, Jesus, your, your brother, your mothers, everybody's here. They're all looking for you. 
And he tells them there, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So there it is again. He says, like, who, who, your, your family's here? He's like, my, fam- my real family is the people who want to hear what I'm saying, and then they want to do it. If you just hear what I'm saying, but you don't follow it, if you just hear what I'm saying, you're just like one of these people who are in the soil. You're not finding out for yourself. You're not finding out what's happening. In that instance, he's saying, they're like, my family doesn't even listen to me. His own brothers were not paying attention to him. His own, his own family was not receiving him in what he was saying. Later, we find that they do. They finally listen. They finally understand. Now, what does Herod do? Jesus has told us so many things in so many ways about, I want you to understand me as I'm giving it to you, and I want you to hear what I'm saying. What does Herod do? We finish with these words. Herod said, verse 9, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? So again, people are saying all these things about Jesus, and he sought to see him. Goes straight out the window. He doesn't try to hear about Jesus. He goes, I want to see it. Luke's telling us here that he's not interested in having spiritual ears. He wants somebody to be around who's famous. He wants to find the guy that he needs to kill. He wants to uh, take advantage of the miracles that Jesus might do to increase his popularity. There's all sorts of other things, but he's mostly not interested in doing his own work and finding out if what Jesus is saying about himself is true. He wants to see Jesus. He's not a sincere seeker. He's got to get to the bottom of this. Now, little preview. I don't normally give previews, but it's so important. By the time that Jesus actually is in front of Herod, what happens? Jesus doesn't say a word. He's quiet the whole time. He's like, don't you want to speak? So that way, like, you might, like, you know, can you, like, do some miracles here? Can you do some things to convince me? Jesus is just silent the whole time. He's gotten the opportunity. He's had people testifying about who he is. Jesus' own work has testified about who he is. If you want to receive who he is, he's made it plain. Jesus is not going to perform for you. He's not going to perform for Herod. Oh, you waited this whole time to see me, Herod. Now let me pull out all my magic tricks and make you happy so that way you, you spare my life. Jesus is straightforward in his approach. He is laser-focused in his mission to save the lost. He's not here to uh, entertain us. He's not here to bring us to a place where we're getting what, what we want. It's not, a, it's not a genie sort of situation here. He's here to save us from our anxieties and our worries from our sins so that we can find our identity in him, that we can come to him wholeheartedly and say, I am lost, I am broken, I tried to go my own way, I tried to do my own thing, I tried to, 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 to determine who you were, I tried to force it in my life, and it just didn't work. He can only be rightly understood if you receive him as he says he is, not how you're dictating who he is, how he says he is. And so it's up to us to be a people who are 
hearing well. Take care how you hear. Listen. Listen to what the, what, the, what the Word of God is saying about Jesus. Now, why does he say this? Again, we finish with these words from the opening chapter. That you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So, for, for those of us, we should be teaching one another about the truth of the Scriptures. We should be teaching each other about the truth of who Jesus is. But you've got to go do the work yourself and you've got to find out that, yeah, this is true. This is my own now. I own this. I have a relationship with Jesus. We are here to be here with one another. It's not that we shouldn't speak to one another and we should just doubt everybody's, you know, things about when we're testifying about what God has done, but rather we're there to testify so that we might have certainty We're not looking for you to believe what somebody else believes. We're looking for you to believe yourself. It's no use if you're putting your faith in someone else. We're putting our faith in Jesus. That's what we're after. He is the object of our faith. He never fails. He always comes through. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I thought that, but Jesus has failed me. I've, 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 I've had this perspective or I've thought these things or I've gone in this situation and I thought that this is how it would win. No, he hasn't failed you. You've failed. You've trusted in the wrong thing. Because if you trusted in him, he wouldn't have failed. If, if you're experiencing hardships and difficulties, worries, fears, if you feel like, man, I got let down by Jesus, it's probably because you were wanting to do Jesus to do something for you that he didn't want to do. He's not there to give you what you want. He's there to give you what you need. So Jesus didn't fail you. You failed to ask for the wrong thing. You failed to pursue him in the wrong way. He doesn't fail. We don't master him. He masters us. We don't come under, uh, he doesn't come under our authority. We're not the king. He's the king. We come under his authority. We trust in his authority. Uh, his righteous work, his sovereign provision, his care and concern. That when he sees us in our most broken state, he sees us when we are lost, that he comes and rescues, that he makes us his own. He does it with his own, uh, with the strength of his own hand, through his blood shed at the cross. Let's pray and we'll respond together. Lord, we are thankful for your kindness, that you've rescued us, and that you've made us into a people who can pursue you wholeheartedly, who can come and in humility just say that we need help and that we don't have it together and our perspective is not correct and, the, and, and maybe we've been um, listening to our own lies, maybe we've been listening to lies from others, but we want to come and to pursue you and let the truth reveal who you are. And so give us um, ears to hear what you would say about how you're testifying about yourself. That we might pursue you 
in the right way. So Lord, work among us by your Holy Spirit. We love you. Amen.